0: First, we'll be in 1 Peter chapter 3. We'll do 15 and 16. You are listening to the Mercy View podcast. Mercy View exists to be a gospel-centered family of missional disciples to the glory of God and for the city's good. For more information about Mercy View, please visit our website at mercyview.com. Now, let's taste and see that the Lord is good. And then we'll go to Matthew 28. Let's do First Peter first 15 and 16. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do this with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. Then over in Matthew 28, pick it up in 16. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Well good evening good to see you welcome to Mercy View if you're visiting with us for the first time tonight so glad that you're here Uh, honored that you've chosen to worship with us pray this service is a blessing to you and encouragement to you if you're watching online we say hello to you as well pray that you'll be able to join us soon here in person as the Lord leads hey I want to add one quick announcement onto what Ryan just shared as we continue to move back towards normalcy um, we are excited to share with you that beginning Sunday, May the second, uh, we are going to be expanding our worship gathering time officially. Now, fair enough, we've been going over an hour for, uh, for uh, you know, from time to time, uh, but we're officially making that move here in uh, just a, a few weeks. I guess that's next Sunday, actually, right? And so, what that means is that you're going to uh, be able to experience a little bit more worship a sung worship here. And then also we are going to attempt to do meet and greet again. If you've been with us for any period of time, you know that that was a a time in our service where we encouraged you to welcome those around you. Uh, And we haven't been able to do that for a while. I know we did that a little bit naturally before and after the gatherings when we were outside. And we'll have more instructions about that next week because we recognize that even though you may be here and we're social distanced with masks on, some of you may be uncomfortable with the full-blown version of meet and greet. And so we'll have some more instructions and we're just going to kind of need to learn this uh, together as we ease back into something like that. But let me tell you why we are choosing to do something like that as one of the first kind of additions to our worship gathering. I don't know if you feel this but uh to to be in a space like this together to be socially distant to have masks on which is a good thing uh it's disorienting and uh we are just I think all desiring to try to get back to some things that are are normal and uh we have always been I've I've heard people that have visited us say mercy view so warm and welcoming and we we just We don't want to lose that. And we we know that there's just some kind of uh, a little bit of a barrier when um, we have the setup that we have. Again, as Ryan said earlier, we hope soon we'll be able to relax some of our protocols and that will help. But until we get there, we want to try to find some creative ways for us to connect with one another in that time during our service so that there's just more of a sense of connection and community. And we want this to continue to be a place that visitors feel warm and welcome, and we want you to participate with us in that. So that's a little bit of the reasoning behind that. Next Sunday, we'll start expanding that. Obviously, that has some impact on Mercy View kids as well. Um, your kids will be watched longer if you have kids back there, and um, they're, they're prepared and ready for that. Well, we are in a multi-week series Talking about the future of Mercy View. It's in a series that we're calling next. You see that on the screen and we're talking about the kind of church that that we believe God is calling us to be for the next decade. And tonight we want to continue that conversation. By talking about this value that we have here at Mercy View called mission, we have three values: gospel, community, and mission and we 've actually, for the sake of this series we've we've inverted talking about those values we 're starting off by talking about mission and the big vision that we believe God has given us as it relates to that and last week, we talked about what in many ways is the big outworking of the vision, and that is we desire, we hope. We pray, we are pursuing a passion to be a church-planting church that plants churches. We desire to see the fruitful multiplication of the gospel work itself out in the form of new churches being planted in our region and beyond. And, And we didn't really say this last week, but I would just say too, the strengthening of churches in our region and beyond. So that may be established churches, churches that are in need of revitalization, but we are for sure talking about the the work of new churches being planted. And in many ways, what we talked about last week as we did that was the macro of our mission. That's the the big uh, vision there. But over the next couple of weeks, we want to look at the micro or the building blocks of that, of what we pray finds its outworking in the big vision of church planning among, among us. And this week, I want to invite you to uh, see a couple of things as we talk about what in, in many ways is the leading edge of our mission here on the ground. The leading edge of mission at Mercy View is both evangelism and discipleship. Let me just say that again. The leading edge of mission or the building blocks of mission here at Mercy View are evangelism, that's the first big idea, and second, discipleship. So if you have your Bibles or electronic devices, keep them open first to Matthew 28, beginning there in verse 16. If you've been in the church for any period of time, you know this passage well. You've heard it read, you've heard it preached on, taught on, and when we talk, about what the leading edge of mission is here for us at Mercy you, we have to start here. Um, I am praying that as we look at this again tonight, especially if this is not a new passage for you, is that the Lord would be gracious and give us some fresh insight and energy from it, and really um, help us uh, you know, ask our own hearts, Lord, what do you have for me in the Great Commission, which is what this is in Matthew 28, right? So let's just look at the statement that Jesus makes here as he starts off the Great Commission. He says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. All right, what's the, the, the thing that stands out to you? I don't know what it is for you, but for, for me, it's that two, those two words. Make disciples. Right? How do you make disciples? disciples. What's the first step of discipleship? Well, first, making disciples absolutely involves helping people who are not yet disciples become disciples. And what do we call that? Evangelism, right? So first, the leading edge of mission here at Mercy View is this... um, piece of, of the Great Commission that the Lord has called us to. It's, it's sort of baked in to the idea of what he says make disciples called evangelism. Jesus modeled this in his earthly ministry. He trained his apostles to do it. And then in the Great Commission, he extends that invitation to us to participate in his great mission in the world by making disciples, which begins with evangelism. Now usually, when we begin to start talking about evangelism, uh, our, our heads go down, we start shuffling our feet a little bit, we start thinking about all the ways that we aren't doing it. And to be honest, that's good for us to wrestle with. We, we need to wrestle with this, this idea. Are we engaging in the work of evangelism in our own lives? What does that look like? What does that mean? We need to be challenged to fight for that posture of evangelism to those around us. But one of the ways that I think we need to do that is we need to wrestle with why we struggle. And there are a lot of reasons. I just want to share three with you real quick. First, we tend to think that evangelism is something that we do by ourselves and only by ourselves. Like the call to the Great Commission feels kind of heavy to us when we picture it that way. We picture ourselves alone, laboring away to share the good news of the gospel with someone in our sphere of influence. And the reality is, is that anything in the Christian life is going to feel heavy if we're envisioning a rough road ahead of us and us walking alone on it by ourselves, right? No matter what it is that God calls us to do, if we envision doing that alone, yeah, it's going to feel heavy. It's going to feel weighty. But I want to us to think about this, to begin to think of evangelism differently. And and I'm not sure we've said it this way, but I think this is going to be helpful for us as we think about what's going to mark us for the next decade with evangelism. And I want us to begin to think of evangelism more as a community project. Stories from fellow travelers help lighten the landscape of evangelism for me. Recently, I I was invited into a a small group of of, of men to begin talking about issues of racial harmony. And what a privilege it is to be a a part of that. I don't think that I would have the same experience in that, talking with some folks who not sure know the Lord, unless I was doing it with some other people. In fact, the, the thing that got me involved in it was a story told by one of our partners here and then ultimately an invitation to be a part of that. And then it was, in, it was fun after that to be able to debrief with that partner, to talk with him and to, to just sort of see and explore what the Lord was, was up to. That is an example of how evangelism can be a community project. Stories of those who are reaching from Christ's body outward, those who invite neighbors to a small group or who see those neighbors and their families gradually warm up to coming into their home and ultimately transformed by the gospel. Those who, and this has been true of us here at Mercy View, host international students in their home, regularly bringing them to church, seeing some of them believe in Jesus. Women uh, whose brothers and sisters in Christ's body have prayed for years with them for their husbands to come to faith. No matter what the story is, interwoven in all of those stories are the hospitality and the prayers of God's people, specific prayers for the salvation of those that they name together in God's presence. But the key in all of this is that we are talking about it. We're encouraging one another by talking about the ways that we are sharing our faith with others. I think that what I see over the next decade as I think about evangelism as a community project is is this vision, instead of us envisioning ourselves on a road by ourselves, that's weighty, that's heavy, it's better to picture a road full of people walking together. Us walking together, sort of like a, a, a the picture we have of the Israelites walking up to the Jerusalem temple at feast time. Whole groups and families talking and singing and taking in others along the way. We are God's people. And the work that he's given us in evangelism is his work. And by his spirit, we believe, because the Bible teaches us this, God calls people to himself and gives them new life through faith in Christ. So when that happens. You and I need to tell those stories. We need to tell the story of the journey, but we ultimately need to tell those stories of when that journey comes to a place where someone places their faith in Jesus. And so here's what I'm committed to. Here's what the elders of Mercy View are committed to. We first wanna hear those stories from you. We want you to come to us and share with us the way that God is using you in evangelism. And here's our commitment. We want to share those stories with you as well. We want to provide more space for that, whether that's in this time or encouragement in, in other spaces where this could happen. We want you to hear these stories because here's what has happened. Or here's what happens when those stories are told. Two things. One, you're encouraged. You are encouraged because you are getting to, in real time, with someone who's your brother and sister in Christ, a partner here at Mercy View, you're you're getting to experience with them the joy of seeing someone they know come to Jesus. But the second thing that it does is it encourages us to do the work. So it's encouragement either way. It's encouragement because you see the joy that comes from your friend who's led that person to Christ. But it also encourages you, it sort of... Uh, demystifies the work of evangelism. You 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 hear the story. You hear of how that God worked in that, and you go, you know what? I can do that. I want to do that. You can be encouraged in that way. So that's the first reason we just uh, we we think it's something we do by ourselves. Second, uh, evangelism. If we're honest, um, we we tend to overestimate. Now, hang with me here overestimate the importance of relationship building. Now don't misunderstand me. We need to and we need to have a relationship with those that we are sharing our faith with. But here's what I mean. I know when, and I'm going just speak personally, in my life, I have hidden behind the idea that I need to have an extremely deep and long-standing relationship with someone before I speak about Jesus for the first time. We sometimes think we believe that we don't have to actually even speak the gospel. If we're just living it out in our lives, someone will catch it. Or at least we, again, like in my life, I've struggled with this. We think we've got to earn the right to speak that. And so the question that we have to wrestle with, this is a question our people have wrestled with for the last decade. Should our lives touch people and transform culture first before we speak? Do we even need to speak? Or how do we manage the tension between the verbal and the nonverbal witness? Well, let's, we have to start here. As believers, we can see in God's Word how to embrace this tension. And the Word tells us that God's good news is a message to be proclaimed and believed. Romans 10, 17 says it this way. Faith comes from what? Hearing and hearing through the Word of God. If we withhold the Word of God from someone, which is another way to say if we withhold the gospel, sharing the gospel, speaking the gospel, a person can't put their faith in it because they haven't heard it. So we are withholding someone's ultimate help if we do that. But the Word also says that the gospel transforms lives, uh, empowers doers, not just hearers. To example, in in James 1, to care for orphans and widows in need. Like that's new covenant language, all right? If we've received the ultimate help, We will offer it not just through words, but also through transformed and transforming lives. And we're actually going to talk a little bit more about that next week as we think about the the partner to what we are are dealing with tonight, uh, the leading edge of mission, evangelism and discipleship. The partner to that is mercy and justice. I think we should perhaps take with more grains of salt, the view that lengthy relationship building is required before we earn the right to speak gospel truth for the first time. Let me tell you what I have learned. That's awkward, actually. If you spend, let's just say, a year developing a relationship with someone and they have no clue that you're a believer, and then after that year you go, okay, I've done this for a year, This is I feel like I can do this, and, and you start to talk about your faith, I'm just telling you, it has the potential, this is not a hard and fast rule, but it has the potential to come off like this. Why did you wait till now to tell me? If this is the most important thing to you, (laughs) you waited a year to tell me? So, what what am I not saying? I'm not saying that you blast people in your first meeting with some sort of gospel presentation. What I'm talking about is a winsome and salty, saltiness and light that um, helps them see by the language that you use. And we're gonna talk about some, some tools here in just a moment, but the language that you use that comes out of your mouth that gives them a sense that you're a believer, that they know that. So it's not awkward later whenever you start having really, really like intensive spiritual conversations. I mean, it does, listen, it takes time to minister to people and build relationships, but I'd rather do that building with someone who is hearing me talk about Jesus in the process, with sensitivity and restraint, yes, but with confidence that the gospel is the best, most urgent news in the universe. And so for me, as I think about the next decade, I think about something that should mark us in our evangelism, it should be this. Here's the inverse, if we wait a long time to speak, it usually becomes harder, more awkward, and honestly, more like there's an elephant in the room. We, we may not underestimate the words, or we shouldn't underestimate the words that can be spoken in moments that help begin to give people a framework for our own faith, what's important to us, so that the Lord in his time, by the leading of the Spirit, will give us the privilege to be able to share that with Someone else and call them to it as well. So second is, uh, we just need to kind of hold intention, both relationship building and speaking truth. Third, though, I would just say another thing we've got to get, get figured out is this. and it's a big one. We think evangelism requires special training. Now don't get me wrong, training in evangelism is extremely valuable. We do it here at Mercy View. In fact, late May, early June, I I want us to do another missional living training, which is an opportunity for you to come and to uh, learn how to share your faith naturally, organically, in relationships with those in your sphere of influence. I want you to come, if you've not done that, I want you to come and be a part of that, be trained. We can always grow in that, sharpening our articulation of the gospel, getting a, a better grasp of the Bible's call to share it. We can learn more effective ways to listen, and ask good questions of people and so forth. But we don't need to wait until we're some sort of trained experts in evangelism. Remember the story of the Samaritan woman who met Jesus, right? Jesus calls her to faith. She places her faith in the living water, him. And she was so overjoyed, what did she do? She, she went to missional living training and learned how to share her faith with the three circles. No, she didn't do that. She went back to the village that she was from, and her joy overflowed to those that were there. She couldn't help but tell these people that she lived around who knew her about Jesus. Now listen, it's gotta be true that we're regularly encountering the God of the universe, speaking to us through his word, then his word, will probably overflow into our conversations. Honestly, I believe that the best ongoing training for evangelism, hear this, is your active, regular presence in a missional community and here on Sunday evenings. Now, any other things that go along with that, that you do, praise the Lord, Bible study, uh, prayer in your own life, just your own walk with the Lord, all of those are basic elements of the Christian life that that help us, but one of the best places for training is what you're doing right now. So be here, be active, be present, be active and a regular presence in your MC. This is why um, community, this idea of evangelism as a community project is so important. We need to help each other be, be better evangelists. But it doesn't necessarily mean that we have to be experts in that. It just means we need to be prepared. That's why we read 1 Peter three fifteen through 16 a while ago. You heard Ryan read that. It's so helpful, right? Peter says, but in your hearts honor Christ, the Lord is holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. There, in one sense, this kind of evangelism is what I call reactive or responsive evangelism. Now. Some of you hear the word that Peter used here when he says, "make it" or the phrase, make a defense, and you think maybe fight or argue about your faith. That is not what Peter has in view here. He means what we just said. We need to live in such a way that our life is attractive, and that includes our words as well. We need to live in such a way that someone who we are connected with says, what is this about you? What is this joy that you have? What is this freedom that I sense that you have? What is this peace that it seems that you've found? And in that moment, we can tell others with, with courage, with bravery, but with confidence that, that, that here's the proof of, of my faith. This is how I've come to place my faith and trust in Jesus. And, and you can tell them why. It could be a powerful moment. So the question really for us is, are you ready for that? Are you ready to do that if someone were to ask you that question? And some of you go, well, I don't know what I would say. Let me just encourage you to say what the Spirit might lead you to say. And that requires this, dependence upon the Spirit. But the the good news is that the Spirit desires to give us words, desires to say what's best in that moment if we'll lean into Him. And so, the question then we also have to ask, not only are we ready to do that, but is our life lived in such a way that someone would ask us that question? And if not, why? But I also want us to consider another form of evangelism. What we see um, in First Peter here is, is what again I would call more of a responsive or reactive. And that's not, an I don't mean negative reaction, just a Uh, someone's reacting to what they see in our lives, but that cannot be the only form of evangelism in our lives. There's another form that I would call uh, proactive evangelism. And um, I I wanna argue that over the next decade, we need to have both, both responsive, reactive, and then proactive evangelism. And we wanna help you on the proactive side because that's the harder one, I think, Um, we tend to get hung up on, well, what do do I do? How do I do that? How do I start this? And some of you tonight um, need help to get kind of kick-started. Some of you uh, just need to be encouraged and and to get going on this. Um, But I wanna share with you something um, that we pray, in a lot of ways, is not only just an annual tradition for us, but something for many of you will become just a part of who you are, an all-of-life posture, towards evangelism. You've heard us talk about it uh, a few weeks ago during our state of the church, but it's an initiative that we're beginning for the purpose of evangelism among us called Who's Your One? Let me just share with you what this is. We are asking you to consider who is one person in your life that you can begin to both pray for and intentionally reach out to for the purposes of having spiritual conversations with, And then again, Lord willing, an opportunity to share the gospel with that person at the right time. And so we're um, gonna ask you as you leave here uh, tonight out in the foyer, on the uh, info table is a a, a bookmark, and on this bookmark you'll see some on the front of it just some language about who's your one and uh, some of the social media stuff that goes with that if you want to use that. But on the back side, is you're gonna see at the top a, a place where you can put the name of the person that, you, that the Lord's placed on your heart. And underneath that, you're gonna see uh, some Bible readings for 30 days. And here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna ask you to, as a part of your quiet time with the Lord, your time in, in, in prayer and Bible reading with the Lord daily, that you would include this as a part of your rhythm. And each day you'll have a a passage of scripture to pray over, and you're you're praying that in light of of the the one person that you are uh, uh, praying for. And what we're going to do is actually over the next two months do this. So you're actually going to have an opportunity to read through and pray through these scriptures twice, all right? So make sure and pick these up on your way out. Uh, Here, let's do this real quick. Uh, Let me just help you a little bit if you maybe thinking about, well, I don't know who that person would be. Let's just talk about some, some, again, natural spheres of influence uh, in your life. Um, First would be, who is someone in your family that uh, you could uh, write their name down, begin to pray for them, consider the the ways that you might uh, reach out to them? Who who loves your uh, family members more than you do? I know some of you might say, look, I, I, I struggle struggled to love some of my family members, Brad, but, um, but I, who loves your family more than you? Right. so maybe your one comes from that particular sphere of influence. Maybe the Lord right now laid that person on, on your heart and that's the person that you need to write down later on the bookmark. Another area to think about is close friends. Close friends. Close friends would be, you know, who do you want to tell when you have news it's good or bad, someone that's close to you. Again, we're talking about people that we're we're pretty sure don't know the Lord yet, all right? So close friends is another uh, another place. Uh, another place would be neighbors. Um, this is uncomfortable for, for some of us, right? Um, uh, who lives right next to you um, that... You could share the the gospel with, begin to develop a relationship with. I was actually thinking about this one uh, over the last year um, with COVID. A lot of us have been home more, and so you may begin to think about, you know, what the Lord has been connecting me with a neighbor more than He had in, in you know previous. Um, maybe the Lord is up was up to something there for you in this, so that you would be able to uh, begin to pursue that person. Uh, in love as well. And some other ideas, some other categories would be coworkers or classmates or places where you uh, have a regular presence. My one is someone that that I've gotten to know and 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 I see regularly at the coffee shop that I hang out and his name is Adam and um, that's my one and that so that's another sphere um, that you might consider a place where you are at regularly. How do you get this going, all right? It's one thing to determine who it is, but how do you get these conversations rolling? Well, I want you to think of a few ways that you can serve uh, that person who is your one. The first idea would be to just send them a text. Send them a text and just say, hello, <laughs> this is your friend or this is your coworker. Um, obviously, if you know them personally, you can, you can do this in person as well, but a text is kind of a, a, a great way to sort of ease into to that Uh, Another way to do that would be to um, meet up with them for coffee or tea or lunch, invite them out to uh, just hang out and and begin to build that relationship uh, in that way. That is a a very uh, informal kind of way to do it and and sometimes people will open, it's just interesting to me, people open up over food or drink. Uh, It just, the Lord does something there. Another idea would be to send a note of encouragement to Uh, someone via text or uh, via email or, or, you know, voicemail or something, just uh, let them know that you're thinking about them. You want to maybe hang out with them and get to know them better. Um, And the last one I would just uh, call spirit-prompted intentionality. Um, What this is, is you are, anytime the Lord puts your one on your mind, take the time to pray for them and then reach out to them. Don't neglect that the Spirit may be at work in that moment to begin to reach out to those those people. So how do you do that? These are some of the ways that you serve that, but here's some of the ways that you can. I just want you to think about how to start the conversation with folks. One of the best questions you can ask to get this conversation started with someone is how can I pray for you? Here's some, again, simple questions. How can I pray for you? I don't know of anyone that, I've never experienced anyone, believer or non believer, who's ever rejected the offer of prayer. Here's what happens in prayer. You begin to get to know someone because they share with you something about them. But you're bringing them to the Lord with them there. They get to hear you pray. It makes your faith public, makes your faith obvious. That's a great way to get a conversation started with someone. How can I pray for you? Another question, and this is maybe more appropriate when you've got a little bit of a relation, more of a relationship with them. What were you taught about God growing up? What were you taught about God growing up? This is a great way to begin to move into some spiritual conversations with those. And maybe follow-ups would be, do you still believe what you were taught about God growing up? If if so, why? Or if not, why? Another question, maybe a follow-up is, do you go to church? You know, that's in Tulsa, pretty common question people ask one another. I don't think... People be too thrown off by that. Another great way to kind of start the conversation is to ask this question. I've heard um, my friend, who I mentioned earlier, invited me into some conversations on racial harmony. I heard him ask this question in this group, um, and uh, I thought, man, that was super bold and encouraging. It was. It was. It really actually convicted me. Uh, I don't know if I would have been ready to ask that question yet, but. this was the essence of the question, what do you think the solution is to, and the, of course in this conversation was racial harmony, what do you think the, the solution is? I think this, this my friend said, um, what, what, how, do you, how do you think the gospel you know, comes to bear on this issue? Great conversation starter, another way to think about how to uh, get that conversation started. So, who's your one? We're gonna spend the next two months off and on talking about this. Here's what I wanna encourage you to do, pick up the bookmark, pray, consider who the Lord may have that be for you, and let's share our stories with one another, just like we said together, because we are uh, doing this uh, in a community together. I want you to watch this video just to kind of maybe help us a little bit more as we think about this initiative, and and then we'll talk about a little bit about discipleship briefly.
2: really bad situation and so um, I got to talking to Michael and I just said Michael do you mind if we talk about spiritual things and he said no I really would love to and I said um, what are your basic spiritual beliefs he told me he believed in God and kind of the general things that you hear and I just said can I just share with you the best news I've ever heard in my life and he said I'd love to hear it and I just shared with him four things the bad news were all sinners separated from God the worst news there's nothing we can do to save ourselves The good news, Jesus did for us what we can't do for ourselves when he died for for us on the cross and came back from the grave. And the best news, he purchased the free gift of eternal life and all we have to do is accept it. He prayed to receive Christ that minute. Sunday got up on the platform with me so I could introduce him to our church and then later on we baptized him. It's not that hard, it's real simple. It's the best news anybody will ever hear in their life. We just need to tell it. Leave the results to God, who's your one.
1: What's interesting to me about that video is I don't know how long James knew his friend, but it's possible that he maybe didn't have a a long-standing deep relationship with him. And do you notice the courage that James had in, in that one meeting, sharing the gospel with him. Listen, the Lord, if we're gonna be about the work of evangelism, we need to be prepared for that moment. We need to be asking the Lord for that moment, that he would give us the privilege to share the good news of the gospel, call people to faith in that, and lead them to that end. For the next decade, I wanna be about that as a church. Um, one of the things that uh, is interesting here at Memorial Uh, We probably won't need our baptismal because we have this one. Uh, There's one back there underneath the stained glass. But there's a part of me that grieves that we don't use the baptismal that much. I want that to be different. I want to see us regularly baptize people because they've come to know Jesus through your influence and impact on them uh, in their lives. So evangelism, make disciples, it begins with evangelism, but it doesn't end at that point, right? It doesn't end at the point of conversion. Second, it's, and it's in the Great Commission, super obvious, God calls us to take those new believers from that point forward, maturing them. That includes us as well. We are called to become a and uh, continue to pursue discipleship, right? Jesus puts it in the Great Commission. He says, teaching them to obey or observe all that I've commanded you So we could also say that the leading edge of mission or the building blocks of mission here at Mercy View is also discipleship. Without it, we are not fulfilling the Great Commission. Now I wanna talk about real quickly what that is and what should be at the heart of our discipleship here at Mercy View in the next decade. We could talk about a lot of things, but here is at the bottom of it all what we need to to say. Discipleship at the the bottom is understanding that the gospel is, is both the door into Christianity and the path along the the way with Christianity. It's the entire path. We don't move on from the gospel in discipleship. We move more deeply into it. It's not just the means of our salvation, but it's the means of our transformation. It's not simply deliverance from sin's penalty, but release from sin's power The gospel is what makes us right with God, theologians call that justification, but it is also what frees us to delight in God, which theologians call sanctification. This for me, I've shared this with you before, it happened about I think 15 years ago, I had a gospel awakening in my life, an understanding of the gospel, it actually created a a little bit of a crisis of faith for me because it was something that I had not caught along the way and it's what I just told you. Yes, the starting point of the Christian life is conversion, but that the, the ongoing path of my Christianity was the same thing that began it, the gospel. So we're not meant to move into deeper theological waters alone for, uh, for our growth. There's nothing wrong with growing in theology, okay? But actually, it's to move more deeply into the gospel, and, and how do we do that? Well... The way that we like to talk about it here at Mercy View, and what I would say as we think about the next 10 years, the future of Mercy View, how are we going to do this well in all of the context that we are discipled in, is to say we need to be better repenters and better believers. And believers, what I mean by that is we need to grow in our ability to better exchange our lesser idols for Jesus. Repentance means turning away from as much as you know of your sin to give as much as you know of yourself to as much as you know of your God. So my prayer is that we would over, I mean, in the days to come, more willingly, more quickly, more humbly, learn how to be better repenters. The gospel is what gives us the freedom to do that, by the way, because Jesus already knows what we need to repent of. Repentance is really a posture, an action, an activity that we do to, to get back into right relationship with, with Jesus. But as we do that, we're admitting, Jesus, you're the only thing that that makes me right. What is that called? That's called faith. The call of Jesus in the New Testament over and over was repent and believe, repent and believe. Friends, that is our call in discipleship. At the bottom of it all, better repenters and better disciples believers. That's our desire here at Mercy View. This is the leading edge for us here at Mercy View. Evangelism and discipleship. And it is for the sake of Jesus that we do it. It all points back to the very first message in our series. This is not about us. We share the gospel with others. We disciple others. We allow people to disciple us because we want to make much of Jesus. That is our passion. So let's join together over the next decade to stoke a passion for these things. Will you join me in that? Let's pray together.